And we are live with our 127th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my lovely co-host, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, I know we're just launching into it. There's all sorts of stuff going around uh, from a news perspective in the last few weeks. Uh, life has been really busy. It feels like everyone's getting back into more normal type stuff. Right. Um, but other than that, we I, like, we're just, yeah, I don't, we don't have any announcements, I guess is, is what it boils down to. So we're just going to jump straight into a couple of topics this week. Um, specifically ones that are coming from the 10 top 10 web hacking techniques of 2020. Let me post that up there really quick. Whoops. That's the wrong one. I do have actually one announcement Okay. Um, I am hiring for two positions at GitHub that are both bounty support related. And so I'm going to find that link and post it here shortly. But um, did want to let folks know that we are hiring for uh, those two positions. Um, and yeah, if you want to know more, you can hit me up in Slack. Um, but the job description covers a little bit. But basically, it's first level triage of bounty um bounty submissions and interacting with bounty researchers and helping manage our VIP program and all this stuff. So there's a lot to it, um, but it's all bounty, uh, bug bounty related. So if you are interested, I will post that link. And so that's all I had. I just had to, okay. you know, I had, no, to, no. I had to do it. <laughs> yep, yep. Ken needs help, everyone. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you've never done that before, it's a good introduction to security topics and actually doing research into why bugs occur. Um, I, I, I had an interesting one pop up. I, I mean, as a consultant, I help a couple of smaller companies run their bug bounty programs and we get some really like bizarre esoteric bugs that pop in there, like regex flaws. Uh, this one was specifically, I, and I know this wasn't on our topic list, but it was interesting. So we may as well talk about it. Right. Um, uh, basically, this one was Rails-related, Ken, uh, which is interesting, right? There's like a um, config.host parameter in, I, I can't remember, it's like for host authorization, right? Um, that you, that, that builds, It builds a dynamic regex. Anyway, the, the problem is that um, the way that they had built their regex, a slash at the very end actually allowed it to match any domain as opposed to not having a slash at the end, right? Like issues like that, that pop up with regexes and actually having to dig into what's going on with Rails and how it's implementing or pulling those strings to create the regexes um, was, it was a very interesting, just kind of research topic after the fact. And I don't have my like notes here about it, but it, at the same point, it was an interesting deep dive into how rails handles things, how regexes work, right? All that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, the, the bug bounty positions will give you that background if you haven't had them before. So it's, it's super interesting. Um, along those lines, I know a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, job descriptions um, for, oh, there we go, for um, junior positions, right, Ken? Um, that was Daniel had asked about it on Twitter. We talked about it a little bit. I mean, it, it sounds like this is this is more of a junior position. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it's fairly like we are looking for you know more more entry level folks to to sort of help them build their skill sets with with some web security knowledge, obviously some some basic security stuff. One thing I wanted to mention too, um, since we were talking about first of all, like we're, we need to circle back to that Rails bit because this is the first time hearing about it. So I actually don't. I, I haven't even heard about what we're talking about. So like, we'll go back to that. But one thing you reminded me was that from like last week or the week before I said I would post that, that the race condition odd bug, the details would be posted of why GitHub reset everyone's sessions. Um, and that I just posted the link to. It is a really good read. It dives into just how extremely weird and buggy or like, not buggy, but weird, weird and like infrequent and how hard that was of a bug to, 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 for them to uh, track down. So, um, 
just a little follow up, but okay. So going back to the rails bit, sorry, where did, where did you hear about this? When did this come out? No, 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 and no. What okay. Was the... okay. Rewind, rewind. This was a small bug bounty. Um, it was basically the way that this company had built the regex or they were loading um, like a configuration parameter into like it's host authorization, right? Like it, and oh. it determines it determines where you can redirect things to, right? Um, right. So it's it's used by in that logic. So a bug bounty researcher found that if you put a slash at the end of the uh, the parameter and the x forwarded for header, it would actually redirect to any place that you wanted it to. So the location regex that was being built basically had a flaw because of the way that they were building out their configuration file. And then it was being consumed by the host authorization, you know, middleware in Rails. Like it was just a super, again, a super kind of esoteric edge case. If you would have looked at the regex, you would have been like, oh, it looks fine, right? Like if you looked at their configuration file. But the fact that you combined a domain with a special character, the slash in this case, just completely like meant it matched anything and it worked, right? Um, so it, it was just kind of one of those like, Man, I'm constantly learning uh, when you're dealing with those bug bounty researchers and with the stuff that comes in because it is a lot of those edge cases that we don't get. I mean, we might have tracked it down in the source code review and we're looking at the configuration settings, right? Um, but I don't know if we would have, to be honest with you, right? Now it'll be on my list. Oh, I know this is handled by regexes. How are those regexes being built? And right, it's it's one of those things we should be looking at. But I don't know if I would have caught it, honest to be honest, right during a, a source code review. So, yeah, my AirPods had cut out when you were saying where that came from. That's why I was like, "Wait, what happened now?" <laughs> it wasn't. It uh, wasn't a widespread Rails thing. It was just I was a, like a one-off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, one common mistake people make with Ruby is that you know the with typically with regex, you've got the caret sign and the dollar sign that delineates like start and finish. And that's, there's nothing more to it. But one common thing that kind of bites Rubyists who are trying to implement regex the same way they would in another language is that you actually have to use those uh, backslash a and backslash Z. Um, um, uh, here, I'll just type it. I'll just put it in uh, those characters because yeah, These uses those, the, yep. those are the actual anchors, regex anchors, basically, in Ruby. Let me write that. Regex anchors in Ruby. Yeah, sorry, anyways. I, and, and honestly, that's a, that, that's a problem that I have coming from more of a Perl Python background is, you know, I write regexes like Perl RE, right, or Python RE. Um, right. The, the, you know, those regex libraries are very similar, so dollar, caret, all those different things, right? When I first first started looking at how this regex was implemented, I saw those two characters and I was like, what the, like, what the hell's going on here, right? Like, uh, those damn Rubyists, right? Always have to be special. That's, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, what's interesting is I found bugs before and one of my favorite bugs of all time was um, because there was no anchor, I was able to, and there was like a multi, I've talked about this before and, you know, showed examples, maybe even in Railscope, but the the gist was that you um, they were not using proper anchors, and so a new line character could sneak in there. And I think, oh, I remember what this was. Yeah, so with Active Record, if you do like a dot find and you pass in a um, a value, it immediately gets cast to an integer. So what was happening was we were doing ID lookups. They were parsing two parts. The first is the ID, and the second part is a hash. And as long as the hash made sense. The first part of that, um, uh, you know, hyphen sep uh, separated value would uh, be the ID, and then you do the, the find on it. But what was happening was that, uh, going back in my memory bank, so when you do a dot find and you pass it a value, it gets converted to an integer. So if I gave it, say, like number three backslash N for a carriage return and another ID value, so three backslash N. I don't know, 500, right? Well, it would uh, immediately say, oh, actually, I don't forget what the behavior is. It's going to dump the the part that's after the um, new line, essentially, right? So it's going to, the 500 part goes out. So let's say the original lookup was supposed to be for five. The, the, let me make sure that's actually right. I think that's, 
I think that's right. But what would happen is it would just cut it off, right? So I was able to slip in because there were no anchor tags, a uh, new line and a different ID. And then what was happening was the hash would be like, okay, because they did these in separate places. They would have a check somewhere that was like, the hash is good, move on to the next check. The next check would then use that ID that's like real ID, uh, or sorry, the ID I want, you know, new line, different ID. And uh, it would just cut off the, the new line slash uh, different ID and then just return the record for somebody else, basically. So um, that's one example of like a... Uh, bad regex check and what can happen when you when you don't use anchors. But the final thought here for me, Seth, is use this. If you are a Rubyist trying to figure out regex, use that. <laughs> yeah. And actually it's funny that you popped that up because that was the that was kind of the first place I turned when I was like, wait, how the hell is this actually succeeding? Right? Like I just loaded the regex in there and started throwing stuff at it. So Rubyler yeah. is my favorite. And my Rubyler is my favorite for validating other people's regex or writing my own. Yep. Cool. Well, good resource. So anyway, that's the kind of stuff you learn when you're doing bug bounties, right? So like, it's a good way to expand your knowledge, even when you're a seasoned professional. So, all right. So um, there's a couple of these um, web hacking techniques of 2020 from Port Swigger that I wanted to talk through today. Uh, we'll see if we get to both of them because uh, you know, they're pretty interesting. And it actually has a lot to do with the regexes that we're talking about, right? Like evading, one of them's the WAF evasion. I think that's that might be the top, the first uh, one in the list, but I don't know, that's number 10, sorry. The Actually, the one that I wanted to talk about first though was uh, number three in that list, which is attacking secondary contexts in web applications. And I'm, I'm running into this more and more um, I know we wanted to talk about kind of the code side of things, Ken, and we'll address that here momentarily. But there's a great presentation by Sam Curry. Um, let me post that in as well. I actually just posted it. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, great. I'm putting it in Slack now. Yeah, there's a great uh, presentation by Sam Curry on these secondary contexts. Um, and this all goes back to how uh, web servers and web application servers um, are now used in conjunction to serve up a web application, right? So you think about a typical path for a web app, it's like mydomain.com slash my app, right? And then you serve up files like index.html or you know, index dashboard or whatever based on my app slash something else. Uh, now what Sam Curry goes through is the interactions between the different components can be taken advantage of. So if you've got like a, a PDF lookup that takes a part of that path in the application and then goes to a secondary, so similar to, to what would be a server-side uh, server request forgery attack, right? But in normal behavior, it would go out and pull a resource from somewhere else and return it. You may be able to take advantage of what URL is being sent or even what just path is being sent to figure out other resources that might be available from that secondary context or that secondary web service behind the initial application that you're dealing with. And, and I don't know if I'm describing that super well, Ken, right? Like what's your take on those secondary contexts? I think you're describing it well, like, and maybe we should share out the, uh, the presentation. Well, here, one thing I wanted to point out is, uh, yeah, I'll just share this real quick. Um, so this is what's interesting. You and I were talking about this before we went live, which is this is uh, what's interesting about this presentation. It's very similar to like our the routing portion of our course. Um, but like this is the dynamic side. What you see as a bug bounty person or as a like a pen tester um, not having potentially not having access to source code. So for for us, all of this is like known, but it's interesting to see it from the perspective of somebody who is just learning about this dynamically. So what's interesting here is for instance, you know, they talk about here's how I thought HTTP servers worked, where there's a file in a specific folder, you have got a web server running and anything you request is going to be basically pulled out of that, that folder and it's going to be rendered. Well, you know, that, obviously that is. <laughs> yeah. that is the way that used to be. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. Uh, and, and, 
Yeah, it's the way it used to be. This is the base functionality for web servers. So Apache, anything else, you, you specify a directory, tie it to a domain or a port where it's looking it up, and all it's going to do is go render those files and, and send them across, right? But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I'm just agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nowadays, with things like Node, Flask, Rails, right, we, we, we do routing, which is a completely different uh, concept. So instead of depending on the web server to handle that for us, we're now letting the application and the code itself dynamically determine what should be returned to a user. And that's what we are looking at here, different ways web applications do routing. I think he's looking at a node here um, where he's, and again, it, it, like there's regexes that are involved here, right? Uh, let me oh, see. Sorry, I didn't mean to switch. No, you're fine. Yeah, yeah there, there's yeah. regexes route. So th there's like this main user router dot route, and then it has activate, which actually gets turned into a regex behind the scene. Um, so it parses the HTTP requests. It looks and sees, oh, okay, that starts with activate. Um, if it's a get, I'm going to return this one page. If it's a post, I'm going to do something else, right? Uh, and the the application itself determines what the routing looks like and what's returned to to the user. It's no longer the web server that, that's handling it just looking in a folder. It's now the code itself. And, th and that's where these flaws start to pop up. Well, one thing we've shown in specifically in, in, in Node is there's, um, well, oh, let me no. back up before yeah. we get into that. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this and then I'll back up. So, cause you mentioned regex and like one thing we show in the course is that there are so many ways that even in just routing, like we, the, for those that aren't familiar, we break it down when we talk about the flow of a web app into assessing route routes, authorization. This is just at a high level routes, then authorization filters, then controllers and actions, whether or not it's called a controller action in that framework. That's logically how we, we call it. We actually call it like the process logic processing, um, mm -hmm. which would be your controller and action actions or yeah, actions. And then um, your uh, data and then your uh, data retrieval, which is like your model and your ORM level. Um, and we talk about, tertiary systems like external logging and um, like maybe S3 or Azure services or something like that. So, uh, you know, that's sort of the general flow though. And we show where vulnerabilities are present and in routing and, and because of what Seth said to add to what Seth said, because of the complexity in routing now and the options that are available, vulnerabilities absolutely get presented inside of just the route definitions themselves. And it obviously it manifests, def manifests differently. And one thing you should always do uh, when you're assessing some framework you're not super familiar with, or even if it's just maybe a later, newer version than what you've assessed previously is you should always go back to the documentation and look at their routing documentation. So like here, one thing that you'll see with, um, and maybe I can uh, pull it up um, real quick, but one thing you'll see with like Express, for instance, and its routing is that you can actually pass in regex in the uh, uh, routing parameters themselves. So you can you can basically say if a route matches these. So like, for instance, if I wanted everything under the admin directory to hit a certain authorization filter first, I could do that. I could say with regex, if it if it hits anything admin, then like do this and or do this authorization check. But that's actually where things go uh, wrong. So just real quick, this is an example of um, how wonky it can get. So like you start to see there's uh, look ahead regex checks. There's, um, you know, just like asterisks for anything type deal. Like, so anything in between AB and CD, uh, there's all kinds of ways to do, to, to, to do this. So you can, you can essentially use regex, like I said, on a path and say anything that goes there is going to hit an authorization check. Now, why is that interesting? Because people fail at regex all the time. So those authorization checks, I've seen this happen. We talk about it in the course. I've seen this in my job where the regex wasn't done properly and literally no authorization checks happened on administrative functionality. Yeah. So sorry, that's a long winded, um, but yeah, that's, that's um, interesting, I think. Yeah, but this is exactly what the, the article is going back to, right? 
uh, is the those sorts of secondary contexts underneath um, or behind the scenes. Um, so you know it, what happens when you put you know percent two f in there when you you start using URL encoded characters after slash admin in the case of Express specifically where it's building a regex it sees slash admin um, and or maybe you know there's like just a you know slash index and you get a percent two f in there and a dot dot slash admin maybe you can bypass the authorization check that's on the admin endpoint and then it's not on the dashboard or not on the index point, right? Uh, these are exactly the sorts of flaws that we're starting to look for, right? And so we, we always talk about kind of the, um, oh, how do I always phrase it, right? Now I can't even remember, my brain's all over the place today. Um, but the, the pattern, like anti-pattern analysis, right? So there's a pattern code that- smells, yeah, but code from like smells. a security perspective. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking for the 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 pattern that doesn't exist when it should exist there, right? So in admin or somewhere else, like you should always be doing an authorization check and you know making sure that things are flowing properly, right? Like, but what Sam's doing and what he's enumerating through and attacking those secondary contexts is exactly the sorts of issues that we want to be looking for in the code. Um, and we are looking for them, but we've always just called it a, a different thing, right? Um, we, yeah, we have the tendency to rename the same vulnerabilities over and over in the industry. And the longer you're involved, the more you'll realize that. So the latest hotness is the thing that was still a thing a long time. Anyways, so one interesting thing I was going to mention, though, too, is, you know, how we like, there's certain times when this is a good time to bring it up. There's certain times when it's like, no source code alone review is not enough. This is actually one of those times, I think, because one yeah. of the things he shows in the, in the, the example here uh, or in his slides, well, multiple things that are shown inside the slides are a chain. So for instance, one of the, one of the um, screenshots shows, and again, maybe I should share my screen here. One of the screenshots shows requesting like up. a favicon icon and uh, it basically shows what is clearly an S3 authorization issue. So they're, they're directly requesting a resource on the domain of the site. Um, and for whatever reason, it coughed up an S3 error. Maybe they sent some garbage data in. I don't honestly remember. Um, you're welcome to pull that up if you want, or I can pull it up. Um, but yeah, actually, here it is. I'll, I'll share that real quick here. Um, yeah, so. Well, and I, yeah. and I think the point that you're getting at here is that, um, like, we don't there's always, multiple, yeah, there's multiple there's layers. There's multiple layers, right, yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at, exactly. You see, you see, you see the, the backslash, or sorry, the forward slash there, the percent 2F, that's uh, assuming, I'm assuming that's what caused the, uh, the hiccup, was that it was like, you know, adding in that additional parameter in the routing, but like that's that's the point is to yeah you're to summarize this all you've got your route that the the application has defined behavior you've got in front of it potentially a proxy load balancer that is determined you know based off of the path and the information you gave in your HTTP request is going to determine where that that route goes to so that's one layer then you've got the second layer being the the server and the third layer or actually sorry the second layer being the case where your your CDN potentially is just, it just knows like you, cause you can tell your CDN which routes are supposed to go off to like say S3. So you've got that. So you've got, again, you've got your load balancer and proxy, you've got your CDN, and then you've got your actual application doing router routing. So in that case, and in, in what is not an overly complicated app, you've got three different places. Then if you like talk about, you know, routing based off of path to various microservices, it gets completely more bananas, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you start throwing Kubernetes and microservices into that mix as well, and the route that like Nginx handlers that are that are passing stuff based, you know, based on what's available, it, it gets super complicated. Uh, and like, I look at this example, and I can you can definitely see where it's happening, right? Like, 
from our perspective, like we understand that the CDN is doing something. We understand what those components are because you and I have seen these errors before, right? Like I know, I know you have, I know I have yeah. when we're, when we're testing things and not necessarily in a case where, where like Sam's taking advantage of here. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just like it, it all gives an attacker more information. And that's the interesting thing that Sam is stepping through in the presentation is he's gathering more and more information about what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I know he didn't, he didn't specifically call it out, but it looks like he did get paid from Yahoo on some of this, right? Uh, for, uh, yeah. Verizon media. Right. And we know the guys that are over there running that program, their bug bounty program is huge. Right. Um, but, it, but it's super interesting, right? Like the, the way that you can take advantage of these systems as they're interacting or the interaction between these systems because they are going to get confused um, as far as what they're supposed to do with these different URLs. Yeah, this, these, uh, yeah it's, it, it's all super interesting, right? The 2F here. Uh, and it, it all goes back to kind of this input validation and, you know, only accepting what we know to be true. Don't trust the user, right? Like, I, like I have all these little say, stay, sayings that I use when I'm teaching. Um, but the yeah. interesting thing here is who's at fault, right? Who screwed up? Because I don't feel like there was one person that coded something incorrectly. It was just that it, it's kind of a cascading effect. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, it's all the regular stuff that you would expect. Like, so it's chaining together IDOR with um, shows SSRF and XSS and CRLF, which if you're not familiar with line feeds, you can manipulate essentially headers. Um, you could even in, in some cases have like uh, two separate responses, the original response the application wanted. And then since you've injected a new line, you can have an entirely different response that you want that might actually execute your cross-site scripting attack. And perhaps the first one was done correctly and wouldn't. And they talk about, you know, here different passing in different parameters that um, paths and parameters that will then be like, potentially either routed somewhere differently or after it's met the bar for that authorization check on that route, perhaps it didn't meet another bar. So you're slipping in additional information like, you know, a different location for a file to, to be retrieved. And so on that second check, you know, the second part of where that logic lives, it's just doing a lookup on that additional data and then bypassing the original routing definitions, authorization controls. And these are the types of th things we see all the time. This is so, 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 so common. And it's, it's just cool to see somebody like take all of the different incantations, put it into a kind of a summarized way and then show at the end how they um, retrieve both payment information and profile information, I want to say, or billing information or something. Um, you know, I have to go to the bottom. Um, so that's billing stuff. There was before that, though. Uh, yeah, payment. Something else. Is. Yeah, so there's PDFs. Ah, right. So invoices, but that's not payment details, right? So it has emails and invoice numbers. That's great, um, but not necessarily... Um, payment information until they determined. Uh, so, and this is actually something I wanted to talk about too. Man, I thought I wasn't going to have much to talk about, but dude, like actually there's a lot to, to, yeah. to, to cover here. So like, for instance, uh, they found out that this, this is kind of the format, right? For the subscriptions. But like, what I thought was interesting about this is that we, we've seen this before where there's this weird separation of authorization. So there'll be like an authorization check that says, is this ID they're providing valid? And there'll be a second check that'll say, if that's valid, then use the, 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 like the guessable, knowable, enumerable value as the way to actually retrieve the data. And this is like, yes. This happens all context. the time. Yeah. yeah. So. so anyways, that's just, you know, I just think that there's so much to unpack there. I'll stop sharing so you can share because I assume you're, it's easier if you're controlling your slides as you share and talk about it, but yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I, you know, I don't know if there's much else that I wanted to share on that one. Um, let me see. 
I, it, yeah, I, again, I just found it, like, it's incredibly timely because these are the sorts of vulnerabilities. Like, authorization and authentication are hard, hard problems, right? And, and the, the, the more complex your application, the more difficult it becomes. And if you're not writing some sort of huge authorization checker and a bunch of unit tests around it, uh, it's more than likely that you're going to, you're going to have problems. Right. Um, oh, so yeah, like exactly what you're speaking to. I like recently was doing a, a, you know, a code review and a pen test and found an instance where, you know, within the same organization, you could actually like edit someone else's page, even though you shouldn't have permissions to do that just by changing an ID parameter that was being sent in. And it, it's that same sort of a check that the developers are more worried about, uh, well, functionality and then returning the correct data. And then they forget that there's these, these edge cases that we're dealing with these secondary contexts where, hey, guess what? Person A maybe shouldn't be able to see person B's data, right? Um, there's got to be additional checks in there. And so the initial, oh, is that person logged in or are they a part of this group? Doesn't necessarily cover all of the edge cases that are that are applicable to authorization for a specific site for a specific resource. Yeah. It's also easy for a developer who is maybe either newer to the team that they're working on or newer to the application that they're working on to not know all of the various actor types and the various authentication methods that they use to access their data and not be able to account for all of the places in the code that you have to account for that unless it's well documented and someone has like paired, sorry, not peered, well, peer reviewed, sure, but paired with them on adding like say an API route. And you know, you, you think, well, it's pretty simple, right? Like a user A, user B, user C, but you know, maybe there's, and then maybe there's a little bit more difficulty if like they're as a part of a different group, maybe you split it into different organizations, different groups. But in reality, something like take GitHub, for instance, you know, you're talking about personal access tokens, you're talking about user to server tokens, you're talking about GitHub apps and they're, they have server to server tokens and user to server tokens, OAuth apps have, their user to server tokens and their actual server to server tokens. You've got um, your actual regular users coming in session based. You've got uh, internal API calls, right? That API that other services are calling. And then when you start to take into account the cognitive load of all those different actor types, you like start to realize, oh my God, oh my God, like there's so many places in this code that I have to account for these things. And if you're not, again, if, if you haven't documented it super, super well, or if someone just hasn't taken the time to read that or just didn't know the documentation existed or didn't peer or I keep saying peer paired with someone or didn't have a peer review, like it's easy for these things to slip in over time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, on, on, and honestly, right. Like I, it seems like there's been a lot of scrutiny on GitHub actions recently, right? I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I, I mean, realistically, it's because it's a new feature, right? Like I, I know you guys, mm -hmm. you know, relatively new, um, but oh, it man. seems like there's that Teddy Cats or whatever that's been releasing a couple of different things, and I'm sure you're dealing with it at some level. So, no, yeah. man, totally, totally <laughs> easy going over here, and uh, <laughs> nothing sure. going on. Because what, five days ago, that was uh, the GitHub Actions or the Secrets, right? Like stealing arbitrary GitHub secrets. Actions has been a target since even before it was released GA. You know, it's yeah. been a, a big, because you're, you're spinning up compute, you're, you're spinning up computing power on someone else's behalf through the platform they push code to. In you're doing a lot of that in autumn, like a lot of it's right, it's just automated. So, uh, and of course, there's like secrets that have to be stored, and of course, there's things that it needs to connect to and, and services it needs to talk to. So, it's like, yeah, and you know, also, there the, we've talked about it before, but yeah, there is the, the vanilla way of doing it, which is probably the safest, which is using GitHub's comp, uh, compute infrastructure, but there's also self hosted runners where you can plug into your own. Uh, action infrastructure and uh, run it out of GitHub. And so that's a whole other ball of wax, right? Where the guarantees are less because the guarantees, 
the guarantees are all on you and your organization. So Actions has been, a, a of course, a, a big target. And I, and I feel like I know that Code Spaces will too when that's gone GA as well. That's going to be, uh, for all you bug bounty researchers, I'm sure you're chomping at the bits for that one. So yeah, um, yeah I'll uh, probably be the person you end up interfacing with, uh, or at least in the back end one if you don't them. know it's me. That's, that's who's probably handling that stuff. But anyways, um, yeah, man, like it's, it's – uh, yeah, actions is actions is tough. It's yeah, very tough. Yeah, I, I I I didn't know if you wanted to talk through that, right? Like, I, I um, yeah, we, we we can take that offline and then I'll bring it up next week, maybe. So, yeah, well, I actually need to do more homework because we've had a few things go on. So, like, uh, I need to brush up before we before we, we have the discussion. Yeah, before I say I, the I mean, wrong thing and people face palm. Yeah. One of the things was that when I was reading through one of the blog posts um, that he eventually was able to get some secrets out of GitHub actions. Right. And I think it was some of that hosted infrastructure, if I remember right. But one of the interesting things was him just sniffing around actions, looking for random bugs, right. Finding things that, Hey, maybe it's not a security issue, but it's really interesting to see, to figure out how developers have put things together based on the behavior of an application and kind of where those edge cases sit. Um, and I, I know you and I talk about this all the time is 90% of our research, like when we're doing code review, maybe even more than that, ends up in not a vulnerability, right? Or it doesn't end up in us actually being able to write anything up about the application. But there's there's strange edge cases that are out there. And that's where the code smell comes into play is you get to know an application code base and you start looking at code or you start looking at a framework and you're like, wow, that feels weird, right? Right. And that's where most of my good bugs come from is that, wow, this feels strange. I don't think this is right um, places. So yeah, anyway, that's, yeah. it's, and you know, I saw so when I'm going through the review, as you know, because since we talk about this pretty extensively, I write it up as uh Usually if I'm doing the source to sync trace that we talk about, um, I'll write it up there and then come back to it. And sometimes like it, it seems like it's just a code smell. And then sometimes you circle back and, and you know, cause and we talk about circling back, always circle back. You go back through your notes and you say, well, and what about this and this? And you start to chain those together. And then you feel like, well, wait, that's not just defense in depth anymore. This isn't just a code smell. It's an actual bone. But even if it isn't something that's actively exploitable to your point, I always write that up and I always mention it and always classify it as a, you know, fix this as a defense in depth layered approach. Because if something else, like, and I think the, the most prevalent, easy, common example is when people do something like create a method that if it's called directly, which it would, there's no comments on it, that's put in a place that you could definitely think that I should call this method directly. But if you do call it directly, you're completely without authorization any checks whatsoever. And yeah, you're just, you've just put a method in that it's that right now might be called by something that has the authorization check, but it could be easily called by something that doesn't. And that's like one of the very vanilla common examples, but the, the things we've seen this on, I know for me, it's super varied. I know for you, it's super varied. It, it can be like fairly more complex than that. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to, to, to put a bow on that discussion, but yeah. It's, well, it's one fine, thing right? I do want to mention, man, is that if anybody's listening and hasn't gotten swag before hmm. now is that time of the episode where I say, send an email in the next like half hour to absolute absec at gmail.com. Again, that's absolute absec at gmail.com. Uh, send an email with your t-shirt size, preferred t-shirt size. I don't think I have many magic times left. That's kind of a limited edition one. Um, but yeah, send it with your address and your uh, t-shirt size and we will get that mailed out to you. Sweet. So. Okay. Send it across. Um, all right. Well then let's jump over to it's number 10. Okay. In the, in the top 10 web hacking techniques. And like, I don't know if we've done a, a full breakdown on the top 10. I know we, we mentioned it. Um, actually, a, a couple of those I, like are very, very specific to technologies like, uh, you know, uh, image magic or, you know, mobile iron. 
So it, it's it's interesting and it's kind of cool, but it's not it's not as widespread as something like the secondary context where we can we can kind of use those techniques across different applications, um, which is partly why I wanted to to highlight a, these couple that I pulled out today because it you know we run into secondary context all the time all the time just like we're saying, and the same thing here these WAF evasion techniques right. Um, it, these have been around for a long time, right? Since WAFs exist, and wet, wet, uh, WAFs are web application firewalls, if you're not familiar with them. Um, but let me go, go ahead. And I'm pasting the link in for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. I just, I'm slow. Nope, nope, you're fine, right? Um, the, the interesting thing here is he does step through kind of the, the typical WAF uh, detections that, that are out there and then starting to mess with the WAF parser. And this goes back again to regexes that we deal with. Um, apparently that's the theme of the episode. I didn't realize that when we were putting together all this, but um, the, the way that, that he goes about uh, figuring out where, where those edge cases are to, to bypass a WAF um, is fairly, it's pretty interesting, right? Um, it's, it's not the standard. It is taking advantage of kind of obfuscation and what the chunking techniques, right? Is that what, um, hold on, I'm scanning through it right now. Yeah, like the double content length headers, but but basically, I mean, if I had to summarize, it's like don't send your entire cross-site scripting payloads. Like try to try to send them in incremental like parts of it, like the greater than less than, or to mess with headers like it shows, like where you're doing double content length, so it doesn't know which the WAF doesn't know which which uh, content length header to process. Um, just basically kind of doing funky stuff with the headers and putting in just very minor amounts of um, HT, potential HTML impacting characters and elements. Uh, they show SVG. They show trying like on load with SVG, um, which SVG is one of the more... Um, I feel like SVG is one I've seen a lot of actual successful X XSS attacks through just because of the fact that it has metadata inside of the SVG that can be, um, you can put your XSS payload inside the SVG. And usually people don't think too much about, you know, um, well, again, sandboxing and CSP are like two major ways to prevent all of this anyways. But if you wanted to like do actual, uh, I'm not going to say whitelist, blacklist. I actually, I actually prefer allow list, deny list. And by the way, that's that's like a super stupid thing for me to maybe even bring up in in terms of like this whole article. It's well, it's not stupid, but trivial. But just just so people know, like I actually like the allow list and blacklist, uh, or allow list and deny list because it um, helps me cognitively understand that better. It makes more sense than like, um, and I know there's like other like PC reasons and all that stuff, and that's. But for me, it's just easier to remember than whitelist, blacklist. And I, I wish we would go to that. We wish, I wish we'd gone to that from the beginning because it's just easier to remember. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, like it, it doesn't make a, yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, outside of the, the, the issues that, that exists with that sort of language. Right. So, right. Um, messing up. With no, no, I was just going to say SVGs, right? And, you know, Derek's bringing this up as well as SVGs. Um, I, mean, I mean, the way that F SVGs are built is it does do some sort of data processing with the, mm. with XML. It's an XML format, right? Right, right. Uh, which, which does make it an easier target than some of the other binary formats that are out there, right? It, it is easy to embed something in like um, some of the GIF, you know, flags and other things that are out there. Um, but SVG seems to have a lot of parameters that you can play with to get to execute an XSS payload. Um, but again, so, so back to the WAF, those WAF evasion techniques, right? The, the chunked encoding was the one thing that was, that was fairly impressive, right? So using the transfer chunk to actually break up your payload 
so that it wouldn't trigger those WAF rules to actually put, because the WAF doesn't necessarily put that back together when it gets a tra uh, the, the chunks payload. That's what it was that I was thinking about. It doesn't put those back together before it processes whether or not it should accept that request, right? Um, or pass it on. And so they're Looking using it in that. pieces, not yeah, the whole. Yeah, exactly. And, and we do that in, um, like th there's multiple different attacks that do that, right? This is kind of, you know, the WAF evasion, but we have seen this in the past for like IDS evasion or IPS evasion techniques, right? Which is, you know, just on a network level, right? Splitting up your TCP packets so that you're sending data across multiple TCP packets with enough time difference that doesn't get, you know, put back together by the IDS and can get executed behind the scenes. Um, so again, like we're kind of reinventing these techniques for the new technologies that we're dealing with. Um, and that that's where I was going with that. So Derek mentions that if it's an image tag for the SVG, the script piece does not execute. And if uh, otherwise, if it's embedded, if it's embedded or, you know, that's that I knew uh, I wasn't actually I wasn't I, I didn't really I don't think I really um, remembered that uh, or I'm, tr I'm trying to like validate that because um, that because he says that's the, the case. And I, I didn't it, know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's right. Right. Uh, you know, the, the image tag prevents that script portion from being ignored or makes no, sense. Sorry. I said that wrong. I did a double negative. Right. The script portion does not get executed if it's inside uh, an image tag. Um, I do remember that uh, from trying to do XSS inside of SVG. Yeah, I just my memory sucks, so I didn't. I'm yeah. sure and I've come into that so trying you, to. Yeah, if you load concept, it directly, right? If you mm -hmm. if you load it directly into the browser, then it will execute those script portions, right? But inside of an image image tag, it will not. It makes sense. It makes sense. There's no reason that you would want the image tag to do that. I mean, I would imagine anyways. Um, yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I find really interesting, and this goes back to the different technology that we're using, like the, the double length, the double content link that you were talking about, Ken. Yeah. Um, to actually inject or, you know, take advantage of, Hey, the WAF only sees the first content length, and the you know the browser or not the browser, but the server behind the scenes actually executes the second one. Um, we've seen this sort of a of a technique used multiple times, uh, whether it's you know header injection as it's coming back to the browser, and the browser may be like getting confused on which content type it should be executing. Um, or I mean, in this case, it's the content length that they're like, they're confusing the WAF, they're confusing the, the backend web server that's behind the WAF with a secondary header. Um, and part of this can be solved if it's, if those, those technologies are implemented per like HTTP RFC, right? Um, I think right. you know, in the RFC spec, it actually says that the second header of the same type is the one that actually gets is valid for that request or that response, right? Or that HTTP payload. Um, but that's not always the case. The developers don't always look at the RFC when they're putting together those technologies, right? Or they're depending on, you know, maybe the WAF is just using Apache and Apache does it one way and Nginx does it another way, or maybe it strips it out as it's passing it through, right? Like the proxy headers. Like I, I'm not sure exactly on what, like how the technology is all going to exist. But then that does go back to the secondary context, the way that regexes are handled, right? Like it, it's it's all a big mess, is basically what I'm trying to say. And until you test it, you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is again a, a good a good reason to remember that you know both source code analysis and dynamic testing are equally important. I mean, I think that, which is probably weird for us to say since we talk so much about source code review and we do the training, but I do think it's like a mistake when people only do source code review. I think there's a lot of value in source code review. I think you can get through. You and I know that there's a lot you can get through pretty quickly with source code review. 
Um, so just from an efficiency standpoint, but also like for a deep understanding of the application and being able to chain together things and see that in the code, that's, that's great and fine. But unless you test things dynamically, you're also, there's, there's also going to be bits like, like WAFs and there's going to be, um, proxies and there's going to be load balancers and there's going to be CDNs, you know, there's going to be factors that change that, that alter the behavior of the application. And you can't see that when you're just looking at the code alone. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there's advantages to isolating code and isolating components, looking at them by themselves. I don't know. Right. Like it, it all goes back to the fact that we're just glorified QA testers. I'm going to be honest right? <laughs> because like we, we do this, like, you know, a, a source code review as a developer, we write a unit test around that that unit test goes into play, but then a QA tester actually does integration testing where they're trying to put the code into the environment where it's going to live and then test all the edge cases there, which is what we do as dynamic penetration testers or you know a web application penetration test, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's, that is that technique, right? It's the same thing that a QA tester is doing um, but they just have better requirements written out when they get to that point where we are obviously like from these articles, we're discovering this on the fly. Um, right. there, there's, there, there's not a user story that's written around, Hey, you know, you shouldn't be able to put in a dot dot percent two F in a URL and access other resources. Right. It should just right. strip that out. Um, had that user story been written and handed to the QA team, guess what? It probably would be, wouldn't be an issue, but yeah, we aren't writing those sorts of security user stories in general, right? Like, I don't see a lot of organizations doing that. Anyway. Well, I got to get going soon. So I did want to mention a couple things. Um, one is that next week uh, I am out. So uh, we will return, I suppose, on April, I believe it's 6th, I think, with okay. uh, Stefan. Um, we have... Uh, two guests uh, beyond Stefan in April. So April is going to be a pretty more guest heavy month for the podcast than, uh, than previously since somebody got off his lazy ass and started scheduling people. Uh, this guy. Um, and, um, but yeah, so next week we'll be out again. Uh, if you, uh, somebody wants swag, uh, email. Oh, sweet. I got it. We got some, uh, we got some emails for swag. So good. You folks who emailed up, will get your swag. Um, anything else, Seth, that you can think of that we need to cover before we hop off? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I know you're out next week. I, I may try to put together just a, a short video to push out maybe on some secure code review stuff, just kind of an overview. Um, we do want to start producing some more, kind of formal training videos or uh, just short snippets on secure code review techniques. So watch for that. Uh, if I, if I can get some time, I'll put something together and, you know, maybe it's just going to be you to with a glass of whiskey in front of a yes. fireplace, like come gather round, <laughs> tell, tell stories of your, it's like a, yeah, Ron Swanson's Yuletide video where he just sits there for an hour drinking whiskey. Sounds like a great idea. Um, but we'll, we'll see. If I can get that out, I will. If somebody, you know, prods me along, I'll, I'll talk with Justin and we'll get something figured out. Probably just be like a five or 10 minute kind of intro um, and where we want to take things. But otherwise, yeah, we'll see everybody in a couple of weeks. Please, please, please join the, the Slack channel. We'll keep the conversation going there. Um, good discussion today. So uh, thanks again for being involved and for listening. Thanks, everyone. Ciao.